what the council did is they threw a curveball to the mayor. They had written her a letter in January criticizing her for not moving fast enough to get an emergency shelter in place. Welcome to Washington in Focus. I'm Cole McNeely, General Manager of America's Talking Network. If you have not already, we ask that you hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to this podcast so you never miss a new episode of Washington in Focus. Now here's your host, Jeremy Lott. Thank you, Cole, and welcome to the Washington In Focus podcast, powered by the Center Square. I'm Jeremy Lott, regional editor of the Center Square Newswire service for Washington State. Washington In Focus is a production of America's Talking Network. You can find all of the Center Square's great podcasts at americastalking.com. While you're there, please take time to subscribe. That click will pay great dividends for Washington news watchers. Joining me today is Raylan Ricard, Eastern Washington reporter for the Center Square. Raylan, thank you so much for coming on the program today. All right, Jeremy. So I want to do something. Uh, we're, we often we we you know name check individual articles, and we're going to do that. But I, I want to the focus here is going to be on ongoing stories. All of these are part of at least two. Some of them are part of you know infinite number of stories almost. And I, I want Raylan to talk about kind of how the story is developed. And uh, yeah, that's that's uh, I think that would be interesting for readers today. So that's what we're going to we're going to do. And, you know, sometimes these uh, the reporting, build not it's not just that the journalism builds on itself. It's that government reacts to the journalism and that re- leads to further coverage. So uh, the first story is titled Spokane Council Approves Controversial Shelter Criteria, uh, specifically homeless shelter criteria. Raylan, what is that story about? Well, that's an interesting story because what the council did is they threw a curveball to the mayor. They had written her a letter in January criticizing her for not moving fast enough to get an emergency shelter in place and, you know, that people were out on the streets in the wintertime. And so she couldn't was having trouble finding a property because nobody wants a homeless shelter living next to them, you know. So um, so she kind of moved heaven and earth, looked at 92 properties found one that would work, went to the council to try to get a rezone of the property from heavy industrial to accommodate the shelter. They did not vote for the rezone. And then they went in and created this resolution when she was advertising for an operator for that potential shelter to to um, be able to maintain a maximum of 250 people and maybe more during bad weather. And they reduced the number, that resolution reduced the number down to no more than 100 people per acre. And so now what they wanted was little shelter here and there, like like a parking lot for cars and different kind of smaller things. And that just put like a whole monkey wrench into the works. And she said she was gonna go ahead and continue with the negotiations for the larger shelter and um, they're going to be hearing it again on Monday because um, they're going to look at potentially um, doing some some rezoning of properties to accommodate shelter, but they still have the smaller capacities, you know, that they're recommending. And meanwhile, the homeless count, the point in time. I got to stop and, and do like a fake trumpet. Da, 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 breaking news. Good. <laughs> Meanwhile, the uh, the count came out that the homeless population in Spokane has gone up 13% in the last two years. That is an unlucky. They're having this debate that's dragging out the whole process. There's more people on the streets. And I interviewed a business owner, which will be a story that comes out today, 
about the cost to them from having to um, provide security cameras, different things like that, because of the, the vandalism and the graffiti and the shoplifting and all the problems. And the police chief is also addressing that. He's talking about um, how the spike in crime and he's not he's tying it somewhat to the homeless population, but also to the legislative actions that have made it really difficult for the police to do their job. So it's a whole huge can of worms. And every time you turn around, there's a new twist because ethics complaints have been filed now against the council. Wait, 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 wait. Let's go. That's the next story. Spokane Council president responds to ethics complaint. Go. So this is all tied to the homelessness issue also. The the council president, Brianne Beggs, um, sent out information about potential shelter operators applications to the council because he said that the mayor didn't tell him no and they the mayor hadn't answered his questions enough. But it was in those applications were in the were in the process of being reviewed and the mayor scrapped the process and started it over because she said the information had been compromised. So an ethics complaint got filed against the, um, the council president also filed against one of the people on the review board had a stake in the whole thing. He stood to gain a salary of 151,000 a year. If one of the applications went through and he participated in the discussion, not the vote, but the discussion on that application. This was another former council president. Correct? Yes, another former council president. So now you've got the two ethics complaints going on on top of all the other dynamics, you know. So that that um, issue is a moving target, and and it just un, unfolds like almost every day with some new development. Yeah, Let, let's back up and just we've done. I don't know. Can, can you guess at the number of stories we've done related to the homeless problem in Spokane? Well, since I came on board in January, probably at least 20 stories, you know, I mean, it's a constant, it's just, it's almost, it's becoming almost a constant, you know, every week you're going to have one or two. Yeah, no, it's a part of your beat. Uh-huh. And uh, so, and one of the things that we should say is that, um, just to give people context that from the beginning of this, is that one of the reasons, that they're having a hard time finding shelter for a couple of reasons. One is that you know, NIMBY, no, not in my backyard, but two is that um, for a temporary shelter, they use the convention center uh, this winter. Oh, yes. Uh and in a two-week period, they did, what, about $100,000 in damage? Yep. So uh, they had to replace, I don't know, mirrors, lots of things. Um, so it's, uh, you know, it's an ongoing expense that's, uh, and, and I think one of the reasons that the, the mayor wanted this location also is that it's like a, you know, like, a concrete warehouse and kind of hard to dig. Yeah. 33,000 square foot of a vacant warehouse that could be converted into a shelter. Indeed. So, um, you know, we, we will bring you the latest on the homeless, uh, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the Spokane homeless problem and all of the ethics complaints that, that, uh, rain from the sky as a result of it uh, in an, on an ongoing basis. I think I think every big city has the problems. It's just this has become a very complex because the mayor and the city council are at loggerheads over just about every issue. But this one really particularly how it's playing out. Yeah, she, the uh, mayor appears to have gotten a bug in her bonnet as well because they criticized her publicly over uh, inaction on this and then uh, seemingly have thrown a spanner in the works um, when she's tried to do things about it. Yep. And one of the counselors called him out on that, said they were sabotaging her because they were giving her a task she could not complete. And they mm -hmm. kept changing the goalposts. 
Well, there's a, yeah, there's a, a term for this and, and it's called Calvin ball. Um, and of course named after Calvin and Hobbes uh, in the comic strip, he, Calvin would play a game where no two rule, the, the rules would change with every, you know, new swing of the bat. So it was, it was an adventure and yeah. uh, you know, it is an adventure uh, for us journalistically as well. Lucy and Charlie Brown with the football. <laughs> yeah, that too. Um, so our, our next story is titled Spokane Navy League Leave War Hero Statue and Rewrite Plaque. Uh, tell me about this story. Like, back us up and then bring us forward. This is an interesting story because there's a statue in Spokane that's been standing there since um, 1906, and it's a war hero, a man that went to um, Samoa when when America was involved in one of Samoa's civil wars. And he had a officer that got injured on the battlefield, but they were fighting a bunch of the rebel um, forces and they were, they were way outnumbered at like 800 to 150. And so they called retreat and he refused to retreat because this officer had been injured and couldn't travel. So he stayed with him knowing he was going to die and he did die. And they, and the officers were beheaded and their heads were later returned. But you know, um, it, he was a, a son of, you know, um, Eastern Washington, grew up in Chewila, went to went to college in Spokane, was one of the first Navy people in the, at the academy. And anyway, um, so they put up a statue to reflect his gallantry. But in the statue, there's a look in the on the plaque that goes with it. There's a little reference to savage foes that he, you know, fought savage foes. And so a group of Samoan um, and Pacific Islander students and, and some community members are saying that the statue is racist and that he, you know, he represents expansionism, you know, America trying to colonize Samoa and they find the statue very um, oppressive and they want it out anyway. So, Navy vet, a, a couple of veterans, an army veteran, and then the Navy league heard about this. And they're like, so they started researching it and they're like, no, this veteran, this needs to stand, you know, we need to fight for this guy because he did what his country asked him to do. And he exhibited bravery above and beyond what most people would in the face of death. And so um, they're fighting to keep the statue. So you now have these two, um, dynamics going and the navy league went to the human right the spokane human rights commission which had voted to take the statue down to kind of try to change their mind and and see if there could be a dialogue there another veteran what they said was uh you know fine let's leave the statue up and and take the word savage out and yes. the mighty foes rather than savage yeah. Foes. Yeah. yeah mighty foes would work we could change the wording on the plaque but that isn't that didn't find much ground and so you have the vets now that are rallying to try to keep this statue in the downtown area okay um i want to t talk to you about the the putting together of the story this was this was not an easy story to put together so to no I knew nothing about, you know, the that battle in Samoa or what the dynamics were going there. So I had to do a lot of research. And one of the veterans, um, Warren Walker, that was working on it had had gotten a bunch of old newspaper clippings and stuff. And so he sent those to me. And then I had to research, you know, what was going on with that particular battle, because one of the charges was that this sailor had participated in the shelling of villages that killed women and children. And so um, the veteran is like, no, you know, that he, he did not do that. Beside that, it's above his pay grade, you know, and he did, they did do a bombardment of two villages, but they were abandoned. They were the rebel villages. And so, so it was a lot of trying to, trying to learn about that time period. 
Yeah, and and the uh, the Samoan Civil War is incredibly complicated. It is. It went on for a long time, you yeah. know, and um and and Germany and Great Britain and the U.S. were all involved in some facets of it, you know, backing one of the one of the chieftains or another. The U.S. was backing a chieftain that was a son of the king who had died. Anyway, so it it's, it was real interesting. It was really educational, but difficult to write. Yeah. It was one piece and you hacked it down. <laughs> I think, it, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you handed in a piece that was about close to 1,600 words long. Oh, I know, I know, but you know, it was very thorough. <laughs> Just under 900. I think that's uh -huh. how, how we, uh, we settled that one. So, but yeah, I mean, and there was a lot to it. And, uh, you know, it, it took a while because uh, just because there was so much stuff. Um, but once you made that initial investment, it's starting to build on itself and we're seeing more stories. And I hope they're not quite as hard as the uh, original one was for you. Well, it was kind of interesting. And some of the vets, you know, contacted me and want to know how to reach the other vets because they were watching it, you know. But the opponents um, of the statue are gathering signatures on a petition and they're almost where they need to be on the 2000 signatures. And they're planning to turn it into the city council by June to ask to have the statue removed. So this is going to be heating up a little bit in the next coming weeks. Do you know if there's going to be a counter uh, petition like to go to the statue? I think a letter writing and they're going to try to get presentations done by the different vet group vet groups in the area to rally behind this. Um, and, and they're taking it like they're protecting one of their own, yeah. you know, you pay the ultimate sacrifice in battle and you should be, you know, honored. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, our next story is titled judge paves way for Richland school board recall vote. Talk to me about this ongoing thing. What happened here? Well, there's a new twist to that. The three counts <laughs> breaking news. They are going to appeal the verdict that happened this week from the judge. And she she basically just upheld that the signature gathers for the recall movement could move forward because there were five charges that um, she felt met the standard for a recall. And, you know, so they have to gather signatures, a lot of signatures, like yeah. four forty five hundred to five thousand for each of them. I, and, I pause you for a second and just tell readers who don't or listeners sorry who don't know that um so we have recall laws in washington state but they're subject to judicial approval so that means that a judge has to decide that something untoward in a legal sense happened in order to allow a re recall to go through so tell me what untoward happened here so what happened was in in february these three city Richland um, school board members, they voted to take masks off, like to allow optional masks. And the governor had not lifted the mandate yet. So what they did was in violation of the governor's mandate or, you know, re rebelling against the governor's mandate. Anyway, they ended up putting that, putting masks back on because they got threatened with a loss of state funding. And they ended up having to close the schools for a couple of days while all this was going on. And so the pe the people who filed the recall the voters in that in that area um, the, said the district had lost money because the school was closed and that they violated state law and they violated the code in in the district to follow the laws of the land. And so the judge determined that there was enough merit to those charges that they could start gathering signatures to put it on a ballot. Mm -hmm. So so the now the three that are uh, subject to the recall are asking the state Supreme court to, to toss out the judge's um, verdict in their favor. And so it goes on. 
Yeah, the the states that we should say that that an, an unrelated thing, but the state Supreme Court recently was asked to allow a recall effort to go forward against uh, Governor Inslee over some COVID related um, pronouncements and whatnot, and they uh, they declined. They by they unanimously said nope, does we're not allowing it. So they're they're you know noted to be pretty friendly to Inslee, so I I don't anticipate that they'll throw out the recall um, effort, but we'll see. What happens yeah. next? You know, that one also has some twists and turns. The, the three say that they aren't doing anything wrong, that the governor exceeded his authority and yeah. that um, they were creating a healthier environment for the students. OK. Um, the last one is Spokane County poised to award one hundred million dollars in federal stimulus funds. That does not sound like it would be a massive ongoing story, but it has been. And tell us about that, Raylan. Well, Spokane County wanted to be sure because some jurisdictions have gotten in trouble for the way they spend the, you know, American Rescue Plan funds. So they wanted to be sure that they, you know, dotted all their I's and crossed all their T's. So when they got the award last year, they reached out to the Department of Treasury to ask for guidance on what they could do. And they ended up getting back guidance to have 80 categories under the five broad areas that they can fund. And so they decided they needed to hire a software program that could track all these expenditures so they didn't get in trouble on, you know, on the audits. And so they that for, so that right out of the gate, they put out an RFP for a software provider and they've just gotten that. The Treasury guidance didn't come till January. So they've just gotten the software provider and now they're starting to roll on the RFPs now that they've got all their ducks in a row. But they have been very methodical about the way they do this because they are going to post all those expenditures online. So they're very transparent and they're going to have them laid out in a very easy formula so people can watch how the money's being spent. Yeah. So I pointed out the other day that they had to do an RFP to get a firm that would track RFPs. So uh -huh. Exactly. So, and, uh, you know, broadly speaking, what are they, what are they spending this money on? Um, you know, the five broad areas are like infrastructure and educational disparities and those kind of things. So they, um, they awarded a contract on the educational disparities to, to a, to a private, um, or to a nonprofit group that wants to help kids get vocational training or, college training and so they awarded them some money they have several um improve the drinking water clean up a stormwater problem but they've really just gotten going you know they only have gotten half of the funding of the 101 million they're expecting the second half to come on about the 19th of this month so it's coming soon anyway so when they get it'll be about another two weeks before they're all set with the contracts on this software firm and then they're going to start rolling out big time because all those projects have to be completed by 2026. One of the things they can use some of the, the stimulus funds are replacing lost revenues, like government revenues. Is that correct? Yes. So they are doing that like a little over 9 million this year for 2020. And then it'll go down a little bit next year because they had more income because they sold um, a, a piece of land. And anyway, so um, about 9 million a year. For, for three years and then I think three million. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just very interested in, in, I mean, there's there's a lot too. There, you know, five different categories. Uh, how many proposals do you think they'll get total, Rayla? We figure they could have a hundred or more contracts going. And the thing is their reimbursement, it, it's paid on a reimbursement. So there are gonna be a lot of invoices flowing in and out. And that's one of the reasons they wanted the software program. 
Um, I, I, they've been very good to work with um, to get the information because they are so methodical. It's very easy to track and follow what they're doing with that money. Yeah, and from a journalistic perspective, I'm glad they're doing this because we can look at those reimbursements as you know close to real time basis and see if there's anything that just looks outrageous that's being filed for, you know? And then some entities, you know, are just like, oh yeah, that sounds good, we'll award this, or they don't seem to have the plan that this um, that Spokane County has on that, and they've just laid it out really well like a campaign to try yeah. to make the money go as far as they can long-term. Yeah, no, I mean, they're, they've taken a, a stewardship approach to this, mm -hmm. um, which I don't actually know if that was the, the government's idea in passing this. I think I think that they were aiming for faster spending on this, but um, different governments are going to behave differently. Yeah, and they have. You know, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of different entities that that just used it for all kinds of things and didn't really, you know, didn't really have a plan. And some of those are being challenged now because of the types of expenditures. Because you do have to stay within those five um, broad categories. Yeah, I mean. In some cases, they've used, you know, not in, in Washington State that I know of, but they've used, um, you know, stimulus funds to like build concert venues and mm -hmm. things like that. That um, That's not typically how we think of uh, how to spend stimulus funds. But Give raises to retain people. Yeah. You know, and the raises are going to be ongoing money, you know, that you have to budget for. So, yeah, there's been a lot of interesting expenditures. All right, well, we will keep following the money. Thank you for listening to Washington In Focus. I'm Jeremy Lott, and this has been Raylan Ricard telling you what's going down in Eastern Washington. We'll see you next week.